This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking so football because we're the and hello and welcome to Finsider Radio. I am MC Money, joined by Sutton, the creepy soccer dad, and how to I. And while last week we talked about a polarizing figure in Ryan Tannehill, we're going to come right back at you with another polarizing topic, and that is none other than Jarvis Landry. Of course, the big elephant in the room is this. Should the Miami Dolphins re-sign him? Landry coming off his rookie contract, outproducing his rookie contract, only getting paid about $700,000 per year. I say only, like that's chump change. Uh, to us, it's a lot of money. To players in the NFL, that is the bare minimum. And Landry, of course, is looking for a big contract, some long-term security. Rumors have it in the 13 to 15 to $16 million range per year. Who knows how much guaranteed? We'll touch on that in just a little bit. But Jarvis Landry, of course, a lot of confusion about him. And, you know, is he a is he a great player? Yes. Is he a Pro Bowl player? Yes. Well, Jarvis Landry just got voted into the Pro Bowl. I shouldn't say voted, and he was named an alternate after DeAndre Hopkins dropped out of the Pro Bowl, so Jarvis Landry will be going. But then you look at, is he an All-Pro? Does he make a huge difference in a team? Can he help a team get to the next level? And we're going to kind of dissect that tonight. And all of us, uh, Sutton and and Houts, we have our preconceived notions of Landry coming into this show. We have our idea of what we would do. But at the end of this show, I'm going to ask all of us, myself included, what was our notion coming into this show regarding Landry and what would we do? And then after talking it all through, we're going to then say what we now think. Because sometimes you just look at a microcosm of someone's play, of someone's career, in a short second while you're thinking about it. But then as you really start to dive in and talk about it, you realize, hmm, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And that's kind of what we did with Ryan Tannehill as well. You have these quick thoughts, you have these snapshots out there on Twitter and on the websites, and you start getting these ideas in your head. And until you really dissect everything, the truth really doesn't come out. Anyway, Jarvis Landry against the Buffalo Bills, he caught nine passes for 92 yards, 10.2 yards per reception on average, and one touchdown, giving him 112 receptions for the season. Landry finished the season with the most receptions in the NFL. Right behind him was Larry Fitzgerald, of course, with the Arizona Cardinals with 109. It was kind of fun. At week 17, we had really nothing to root for except Jarvis Landry's uh, reception record for the season. And it was kind of fun watching them go back and forth throughout that game. Michael Thomas behind them with New Orleans with 104. Keenan Allen with the Chargers with 102. And Antonio Brown with 101. Who knows if Brown hadn't got injured, if he would have that reception record of this season. Landry becomes only the second Dolphins player to lead the NFL in receptions, joining wide receiver O.J. McDuffie, who we all know and love. He did so in 1998 with 90 catches. Landry also broke his own single-season team record of 110 receptions that he set in 2015. When you look at the Dolphins' single-season reception leaders, you have Jarvis Landry in the top three spots, which is incredible. Landry with 112 this past season, 110 in 2015, 94 in 2016. So it is clear as day the offense goes through Jarvis Landry. O.J. McDuffie with 90 in 1998, Mark Clayton at number 5, and Brandon Marshall at number 5. Clayton in 88, Brandon Marshall 2010 with both 86 receptions each. Landry is the only player in the NFL this season to record at least five receptions in all 16 games. Landry finished his fourth NFL season shattering the league record for most receptions in the first four years of a career. 400 receptions from 2014 to 2017. Right behind him, Anquan Bolden with 342. And then Larry Fitzgerald with 330. So, of course, in great company there. With Landry's nine receptions against the Bills, he now has 400 catches in his career. He becomes the sixth player in franchise history 
to have 400 receptions. So those are incredible stats, um, incredible feats for someone like Jarvis Landry, a slot receiver, one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. But again, it's clear as day that it goes through Jarvis Landry, and I'm talking about the offense. At least it has the past three years when you're talking about the wide receiver court. Now, Jarvis Landry has gotten in trouble with his attitude and his emotions, and he got ejected from the game against the Buffalo Bills. And it's it's a shame, actually, because Jarvis Landry finished the season with uh, just under 1,000 yards. And had he stayed in the game with the Dolphins getting two more possessions, he definitely would have broke 1,000 yards, and he would have became the first player in Miami Dolphins history to get 1,000 yards in three consecutive seasons. There's been a few guys who have done it two consecutive seasons. Uh, Brian Hartline comes to mind. But Jarvis Landry could have been the only player in Dolphins history to hit three. He finished with 987. That's 13 more yards he would have needed, and he would have gotten had he kept his emotions in check. And that is a huge knock on him. And he does need to mature and grow up and get better at that. But all of this brings us to this question. Is Jarvis Landry a great football player? We've already established that yes, he is. But why is he so great? Is it the scheme that he's in in Miami where the offense goes through him? Or is it that he is so good that he forces the uh, offense to run through him? And if he went to another team, would he thrive? Let's say San Francisco. I think he would thrive with Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan calling the plays. Not that Jarvis Landry hasn't thrived here. He obviously has. But I think he will continue to thrive. But here's an interesting stat regarding Jarvis Landry when you look at the overall record of a team. Not many people know about this. The Miami Dolphins are 9-21 and when he is targeted 10 times in a game. 10 times or more in a game. That's... And that's a stat that kind of draws pause. And when you look at that, you're like, okay, well, is it the same as that rushing stat where they say if you rush 25 or 30 times in a game, you are undefeated? And that's a silly stat in my opinion because, well, if you're rushing that many times, you're probably winning the ball game. And, of course, you're going to be undefeated because you're running out the clock. And a lot of those carries get added up towards the end of the game where you get three straight carries and then maybe another three straight carries. And now you're looking at six added on to your total. The Dolphins have played from behind a lot since Jarvis Landry came into the league. Is that a direct correlation? Well, I don't know because J.J. rushed for over 1,000 yards last year. Kenyon Drake almost rushed for 1,000 yards. 644 this season, obviously, starting late, becoming a starter he probably would have gotten 1,000 yards this season. So the Dolphins, it's not like they don't have a running game, and it's not like they don't use their running game. Very interesting. So, Sutton, is it the scheme, or is it Jarvis Landry? It's got to be a little bit of both, and that's where you talk about what does a number one wide receiver mean in today's NFL. And... When you look at Jarvis Landry, you have to look at the targets. I mean, look how many times we target the guy each and every year with multiple different quarterbacks. They look for Jarvis Landry, and maybe because he's the number one wide receiver that we have on this on this team. Now, where it gets interesting is because he comes out of the slot a lot. So what does that mean? Well, receiver is changing in the NFL and how we look at it, how it's going to be paid what it means for this offense because, and I'll rewind to the collective bargaining agreement, when they took out off-season reps, it affects the offensive line the most. When we brought Richmond Webb on the show a couple months ago, before the draft last year, he was talking about offensive linemen are behind coming into the NFL because of the off-season. You don't have enough rep dudes. And how that trickles down into offensive theory is when your offensive line isn't as good as the defensive line, you have to have shorter passes. You just can't protect that long. So it affects the medium and long-range passes that you draw up. So that's why you almost have to roll out of pockets now and and do that kind of play-action movement to generate long passes. Or you're looking at 
the short passing game, and that's become a really prevalent theme in a lot of offenses throughout the NFL, more than others. Uh, look no further than the New England Patriots in our own division about how important the slot wide receiver can be in a certain offensive scheme. In ours, it's very important right now. Now, we haven't had the production of the boundary wide receivers to have an apps comparison to see if that scheme would change. And so when we're looking at this whole Landry contract stuff, you know, how, how would his value change if we do find a stud McMuffin in the draft becoming a, you know, the true boundary size, speed, athletic jump ball kind of person that we wish Devonte Parker could be. If we could have that type of person, then how valuable is Jarvis Landry? Cause we haven't seen, what he's like as a complimentary piece in the offense and not the sole focus point of the offense. So interesting question. I, he, he's the best in the NFL. Let me put that just point blank. He's number one. What the true question is behind, you know, the backdrop of all this is what's a slot wide receiver worth to the Miami dolphins. And we don't know yet. How about you? What What is your thought process on scheme versus actual talent level? Yeah, that was a great response from Sutton. Bravo, man. Stud McMuffin, that's something the Dolphins have yet. <laughs> We'd hope to see Devontae Parker become a stud McMuffin. But, I mean, I, I have to agree. What It's a little bit of both. You got the scheme. We've seen it for all four seasons with Jarvis Landry. He doesn't play outside much. He's that guy that, you know, gets in there in the middle – you put in motion, you try to create those mismatches, whether it be with the nickel corner or the linebacker or the safety, whatever it may be, you try to get Jarvis Landry's space and have him just make plays. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure it's going to be a stud McMuffin. Whatever it may be, Jarvis Landry's going to continue to make plays. He's maybe that slot receiver that some people like to label him as. I do believe he can make plays on the outside. But for me, for I think most people, he's – he does most of his damage in the slot, and that's not something you should fault the guy for. It's scheme. It's built that way. He has his underneath routes, 10 to 12 targets a game. Three or four of those are going to be in the screen game. Uh, he can only do what's, what's given to him, and I think Jarvis Sanders only touched on the kind of playmaker he can be. I like to see him more in the backfield. I like to see him get some handoffs, do more what timeout Montgomery, Randall Cobb did in Green Bay. But at the end of the day, I think it's a mixture of both scheme, skill, Jarvis Landry, like Sutton said, he's the best slot receiver in the NFL, in my opinion, all homer aside. There's no one that does it better than him. And I think uh, 25 years old, he's just going to continue to get better. So for me, Miami, do what you can. Bring that guy back because whether it's Tannehill, Matt Moore, Jay Cutler, David Fales, whatever it may be, he's going to be that security blanket in the middle of the field. He's going to be that guy you can rely on when things break down with the offensive line that we've seen so many times. And he just seems to make plays. He makes plays underneath, makes plays on the outside, posts, screens, slants. He does it all. And Jarvis Landry is a guy you can rely on, passion. He, he's everything the Miami Dolphins need to, need to embody moving forward because he's a guy you can build upon, and he's a guy that Adam Gase loves to use in his offense. And I hope to see more of him going forward. When you look at the contract numbers for wide receivers in the NFL and you look at comparable players to Jarvis Landry, you have guys like T.Y. Hilton. You have guys like Devontae Adams, Doug Baldwin, Keenan Allen. If you want to go a little crazier, you could even say Larry Fitzgerald since he was right there with him in terms of number of receptions. While not the same player, they do have similar uh, characteristics in terms of how the offenses run through them. You can say he's a comp to Tavon Austin and Randall Cobb. I think Landry's better than Austin. I think all of you would agree with me on that. You can comp him to Marvin Jones and possibly Jordy Nelson. Yes, you're going to even have to comp him to Kenny Stills because Kenny Stills got a nice contract for four years. $32 million, $8 million average per year, 16.95 guaranteed. That's the big number right there that we're going to have to really dissect. When you look at a contract in the NFL, you don't look at the overall number. You can have a $500 million contract over seven years with only $30 million guaranteed. Yeah, the overall contract looks amazing and is going to fool everybody at first glance. But then you look at $30 million guaranteed on that $500 million contract, right? And you realize, oh, this team can cut him after three years. So he will never see 
the rest of that money the last two years. So that's the big number. So if you're giving Kenny Stills a 16.95 guaranteed contract, you got to give Jarvis Landry at least, at minimum, the same. And probably more. Kenny Stills is a nice little ball player, and his production hurt this year because of Jay Cutler. He has good chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. We saw that clear as day last year. Ironically, though, as I say this, you know, Kenny Stills had 847 yards on the season compared to 726 last season. But he also had 16 more receptions this year than last year. So the big plays weren't as much. 17.3 yards per reception last year, 14.6 this year. Nine TDs last year, six TDs last year. Six TDs this year. So, less numbers than Jarvis Landry, right? Because Jarvis Landry had nine touchdowns this season. And that was at the top of the NFL. Better than guys like Antonio Brown. So, yeah, you do have to give Landry probably as much guaranteed, if not more. But anyways, let's look at the other contracts of his comps. Doug Baldwin, who I think is better than Jarvis Landry. I'm sorry, he is. Doug Baldwin can change a game in an instant. Jarvis Landry changes the game over the course of a game, if that makes any sense. Doug Baldwin got $12 million guaranteed, 11.5 average per year, $46 million over four years. T.Y. Hilton, who I think is probably better than Jarvis, $65 million over five years, $13 million average per year, $11 million guaranteed at signing. Devontae Adams, 14.5 per year, $24 million guarantee. That is crazy. That is crazy. Devontae Adams though, can play on the outside, right? Devontae Adams can play on the outside. Jarvis Landry has proven that he has struggled to separate on the outside. Keenan Allen, 20.65 guaranteed at signing, 11.25 average per year, 45 mil total over four years. Tavon Austin, 17 mil guaranteed. So I think we're looking at 20 to 25 million guaranteed for Jarvis Landry. I think it would be a complete upset if it wasn't. I mean, just looking at the comps, I mean, there's no way you can go less than 20. Looking at Stills, it's almost 17, but then you look at Tavon Austin at 17, then you look at Doug Baldwin, or not even Doug Baldwin, then you look at Keenan Allen at 20.65 mil guaranteed. You look at Tavon Austin at 17 mil guaranteed. It's tough. Devontae Adams just signed his contract, 24 mil guaranteed. It's tough. It's going to be tough for the Miami Dolphins to to get Landry under contract in the situation that they're in, paying so much money to their wide receiver core. Also to Nadamik and Sue, who has been mentioned on the Finsider Rail mailbag. But how it's looking at that list, I mean, your thoughts on, on these guys and the comp to Landry. For me, I mean, the biggest name on that list, the most comparable, in my opinion, is T.Y. Hill, and I'm not quite sure that Landry's going to get a contract like him. I, I say that as if Landry's going to get more money than T.Y. Hilton because, again, that contract was signed maybe two years ago. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Doug Baldwin, the same way. He plays more on the outside, plays on the inside, kind of does it all. You touched on his production, but at the end of the day, I mean, he had Russell Wilson. I love Ryan Tannehill. I think we all love Ryan Tannehill. But if you have Russell Wilson out there, you don't know what Jarvis Landry could do, and that's not really an argument that this team can make. That's not an argument that Landry's camp can make. But at the end of the day, Doug Baldwin's out there making game-changing plays, like you said. If Jarvis Landry is in Seattle, who knows what he could do. Uh, for me, I don't see why Landry and his camp wouldn't start there with Devontae Adams. I mean, that's the new latest contract that just got signed. I'm not saying that Landry's worth 18 mil guaranteed, like you said. But when you look at it, guaranteed money's where it's all at. And I think that's where Landry's camp would start up. Uh, a per year average, he's definitely not making what Antonio Brown's making. I think it's somewhere in that twelve to fourteen million range, and that's when things get tough. I mean, you see what you touched on yourself, Kenny Stills. I think you said sixteen point nine million guaranteed money. If you got Kenny Stills making that, I know you can cut ties in the next year, but why won't Jarvis Landry in his camp try to shoot for more than that? And then you got that eighteen million with Devontae Adams. I want CY's guarantee money couldn't even exceed that. But at the end of the day, it's all about that guaranteed money. It's all about that annual salary, which I'm thinking 12 to 14 million is where it's going to sit with Landry. Whether or not Miami decides to, to sign him for that, 
that's anybody's guess. I think it's more likely that this team might use the transition tag or even the franchise tag, like Sutton said earlier, and kind of let the market dictate itself. But it, I'm not sure where Landry's going to sit. It's hard to say with these contracts. But at the end of the day, 12, 14 million a year, 18 to 20 million guaranteed. That's kind of where I see it going. You mentioned the franchise tag, and last year the franchise tag for the NFL wide receivers was sitting at $15.682 million. That is, of course, a possibility for Jarvis, and they also can use the transition tag, but we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. So, Sutton, you know, going back to our discussion on numbers, where do you think that final contract number should land for someone like Landry? You know what? I'm looking at... I think what Hout said was just about right. That's right about where I am. But you guys both said it. It's about the guaranteed money. All contracts now are designed to get out in two or three years. So let's not get in a huge ordeal about this because let's think about it. We're talking about tw- between 12, let's say 12 and $15 million. That's a $3 million difference per year. The Miami Dolphins under Adam Gase have been pretty selective and frugal and free agency. So are we talking about not re-signing one of our best players going to start spending a lot in free agency? I don't like that thought. That reminds me of some regimes of past. So I don't want to go that route. So I'm thinking whether, you know, the difference between a $13 million per year contract and a $15 million per year contract is, is pretty negligible to me. But I guarantee, like you guys are saying about a guaranteed contracts, I guarantee, let's say, you know, it comes out in the media, Jarvis Landry, five years, $90 million. Everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, we just paid $60 million a year. Oh, my God. You got to look at the guaranteed money. That's what it's all about. You know, you'll see everybody, where's Donna Ponte when we need her? Oh, man, we're so crushed by the cap. No, it never happens. Every year we worry about this stuff, and I just I, I don't see this team becoming big spenders again. I think we're going to continue to build this team, and we don't have a lot of free agents that we need to resign. Jarvis Landry obviously is number one. You have William Hayes. I would like to get him back. I think he was a great role player for us last year. Uh, maybe two other guys, maybe Damian Williams if, if you don't want to – uh, worry about running back depth so much. You might even resign Matt Moore or, or Jay Cutler to to play backup quarterback or whatever. But you're not looking at very many dudes, so I don't just I I don't think we need to worry about money. To be honest with you, we might not have to worry about money, and I think you're dead on with that because there was an article that that came out. And it said very few teams are in true salary cap hell. We talk about it every year. The cap rises every year. There are so many ways now to restructure contracts to, to figure out how to get under the cap. So in terms of people being in salary cap hell, I'm not buying it. And you're absolutely dead on about that. Um, like the article. You know, said the re- yeah, go ahead. Yeah the, real, yeah. the real question that we need to ask ourselves is not how much money do we need to put on this piece of paper so he'll sign with us. It's. Do we want – we need to be asking. If the answer is yes, then we need to get him back in aqua and orange immediately. And this kind of goes along where uh, 39 is number one on the Finsider Radio Mailbag. Asks what we think of the idea of letting Landry test the free agent market and then coming back to the Dolphins with his best offer to see if Miami can match it or come close enough to get him to resign. I mentioned a few minutes ago that we would discuss the transition tag because the Dolphins have basically three options here, four options. One is to franchise him, which we've talked about. Second is to re-sign him to a long-term contract. Three is to let him go and get a comp pick in return, probably a third-round pick. And the fourth is to place this transition tag on him. The transition tag is used by teams to retain unrestricted free agents, guarantees the original club the right of first refusal to match any offer the player may make with another team. Now, the only downfall is it can only be used once per year by each club unless they elect to use a franchise tag instead. Now, the transition tag can be rescinded However, teams that rescind the transition tag cannot use it again until the next season. Now, here's how that whole thing works. If a player signs a contract after receiving the transition tag, so let's say we let Landry test the free agent market. Dolphins put the transition tag on Landry. He can still go out uh, and test the market. Now, if Landry comes back and signs a Dolphins contract, they cannot use the tag again on any player until the contract has expired. 
So that is, again, another downfall to that. The exception is if the player first signs its transition offer sheet, which is a one-year contract equal to the average salary of the top 10 players in the league at the player's position or a 20% salary increase, which is greater. So really, when, when you're thinking transition tag, it's it's kind of a catch-22 with that. But they, they can't use it because, let's say Landry gets that transition tag, goes out, San Francisco offers him the contract. He signs it with San Francisco. Now that Miami has seven days to decide whether to match that offer or not. If Miami agrees to match, the player is forced to sign with Miami. If the terms agreed to in the offer by the other clubs, in this case, the 49ers, if Miami declines to match the player's signs with the other team and the original team is offered no compensation as they would be if the player had received the franchise tag. So it's it's a catch-22, guys. Um, the downside to letting Landry fully test the free agent market is he might feel disrespected. He's a passionate guy. He might just say, screw it, and sign with another team. Uh, you always have a big risk when the guy goes on the free agent market. Uh, there are plenty of examples in the NFL where guys have gone to test the free agent market with the intent on going back to the original team, and that never happens because so much stuff can happen in free agency. And if you want to keep Landry, then you get the deal done before free agency hits. Any last thoughts on that, and Sutton? Yeah, for me, I think you just don't pussyfoot around. You do what you can. You say it yourself, the transition tag, that sounded great to me until you ran down all them little uh, nuances that go with it. For me, a guy like Jarvis Landry, you just find a way to re-sign him before he even tests the market because whether or not he's going to make that money somewhere else or with you, player anger, there's no reason to – to even get cute with Jarvis Landry because that's a player you want on your team. I'm pretty sure the Dolphins would love to have Jarvis Landry back. Don't don't pussyfoot around. Don't use a transition tag. No one wants to use a franchise tag. Just get that deal done before the season starts because uh, or before free agency kicks off because, honestly, we see time and time again this team, they have these players who look promising when they could, you know, give them a new contract a year or two prior knowing that they're going to become these players that they are, and they just continue to wait. Then you got guys like Kiko and Andre Branch who just walk into the organization, get them contract extensions. It's kind of frustrating. And you got to feel for the players like Jarvis Landry. There's no doubt in my mind he sees that and he just wonders what he's doing wrong because for four years now he's played under this contract of a second-round pick with this new rookie pay scale. There's no way he's making that much money. Pay the guy what he's worth. Pay that guy and, and have him as a Dolphin for as long as possible. Yeah, I, I'm just going back to 39 as number one's question. I don't feel confident letting him test the market. I'd rather do the franchise tag because touchdowns are a notoriously fluky statistic. So if the Dolphins want to roll the dice that the touchdowns will come down and they think they can be in a better bargaining position the following year, they might try that. And the, the numbers might look inflated right now, but – I think this might be an investment worth making because of what I was saying earlier that the NFL's market hasn't really caught up with the importance of slot wide receivers. So I think they are going to start getting paid a little bit more. So Jarvis Landry's the best in the business at doing so, in my humble opinion. So if he's the best in the business, then he sets the trend and so on and so forth. So maybe this is an investment worth making right now because later on down the road when the NFL does realize how important slot wide receivers, maybe we ended up getting a bargain in hindsight. We don't know how this is going to play out. I just don't feel comfortable letting one of our most trustworthy playmakers uh, hit the open market. Can't do it. There is a group out there who feels exactly the same way you do, Sutton, and they're called hashtag Landry Gang Gang. And Whack Jesus on the Finside of Rail Mailbag asks, are most members of Landry Gang Gang completely ill? And yes, they are, because they are completely obsessed with Jarvis Landry, and Jarvis Landry can do no wrong. Um, But this whole Landry gang gang thing has taken on a life of its own, and I've only recently been involved in it, uh, just kind of fooling around with those people who do the hashtag on there, and just even in irrelevant situations, just throwing out that hashtag, just, you know, to throw some humor into it. But Houts, I know you've been, you know, more part of that conversation than I have over the long term. What's really the meaning behind it and doesn't mean anything at all? Yeah, I can't relate 
tell you the entire meaning behind. I think you'd have to ask Walsh Tones and uh, Mike Epps for those two guys seem to be the ones that kind of got the whole thing going. But for me, one day Mike hit me up. I know Tones also did, and they just asked for me to Photoshop Landry's head on different things. I think both asked for it to be <laughs> on a goat. Jarvis Landry, in everyone's opinion at that point, was he was the goat of this football team, this franchise. What Landry gang gang, why the double gang? I, I'm not sure, but I just look at it as an organization or a group of fans who are passionate about Jarvis Landry. And I mean, I rep that hashtag or I might not uh, go out of my way to show my allegiance, but I've always been a Jarvis Landry fan. I've been the guy that photoshopped his head on goats who photoshopped him on people giving the middle finger or whatever it may be. And at the end of the day, I'm a Jarvis Landry fan. I always have been. I'm trying to put that fandom aside for this podcast, but whether or not that hashtag's in my th- in my profile, whether or not I'm sitting there tweeting it out all the time, I'd say I'm part of Landry Gang Gang. I feel like I'm part of that group of people. And, I mean, those are just guys that just – they're like you said, they're obsessed with Jarvis Landry. And why not be obsessed <laughs> with Jarvis Landry? You haven't seen a playmaker like that on this team in years and maybe decades. And you just, uh, just how uh, up and down fans are on him, I mean, that's enough to make someone go out there and, you know, start this little – say and go out there and just kind of combat those guys who are against Jarvis Landry so for me it's just a group who are passionate about Jarvis Landry passionate about the Dolphins and yeah they're a little crazy but they are who they are and they're they're diehard fans Matthew Matthew do you think Landry gang gang do you think it's like a big gang comprised of smaller gangs so like a gang of gangs or (laughs) or do you think they're just redundant about things about being redundant about things that's actually a really great question and and kind of confusing um i know it it almost seems like you know like little ants just waiting to attack little fire ants you ever go down to florida down south and you step in a little hole and and all of a sudden you just get attacked by fire ants why are they only down south Why, why are they why are fire ants only down south I don't know. Have you ever seen them up north? <laughs> yes, I've seen fire ants uh, in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I haven't seen them in Pennsylvania. Like it's a unicorn or something. These are freaking fire ants. <laughs> they've, they've migrated, Matthew. They've migrated. I got you. They, go, they go south for the winter. I have, I have, yeah, they go south. <laughs> they all migrate down. Hibernate, whatever it's called. Um, no, okay. So fire ants all around the world. Yeah, if global. Even, yes. If they even go outside the United States. Um but it feels like, you know, when you step on a little dirt hole or by a tree and all of a sudden you get attacked by fire ants, right? I've, I've you, literally never been attacked by fire ants. Yeah, are, you, are you like my mom has, fire ants? Like, my, mom has been atta- my mom has been attacked by fire ants. Look it up on Google. Look up fire mama, ants attacking Florida. We have on here to tell us her horrific fire ants. People have died from it. Look it up. Anyways, you mentioned you mentioned one negative thing on Twitter about Jarvis Lantry, and these guys come all out in full force and just gang up on you. I just may have figured it out. They gang up on you because they're in a gang. That's why they got the Landry gang uh-huh. going on. Ah, I, I got it. Light bulb moment. There we go. All right, Mike, if you're listening, I'm on to you. I'm on to you. So it's hashtag Landry, hashtag Landry gang gang. Okay, you got the two gangs in there because they're a gang that gang up on you when you talk bad about Jarvis Landry. Boom, figured it out. Show is over. We are done. Time to pack it up and go home. Did I get it right, Sutton? <laughs> is, that, is that what it means? Um, I'll, let, I'll let Mike uh, be the uh, final final source of information for the Landry gang right, gang. So, Him and Wash, so Mike, Washstone. So, Mike, when you uh, listen to this, tweet tweet us. Uh, let us know if we're right in this assessment. How it's, do you have any idea what Landry Gang Gang might mean, or you think I nailed it on the head? You may have nailed it on the head, but I just want to – I Googled fire ants to try to find a picture, and it auto-corrected to fire, pants, fire, fire ants in PA. So they, they are up north. <laughs> uh, your mom probably was attacked by fire ants, and I hope she's okay. But at the end of the day, Landry Gang Gang, that's probably <laughs> a gang who formed a gang for Jarvis Landry. They probably have a shrine. Did you guys ever see Hey Arnold with Hilga? And she has that shrine of 
uh, Arnold in her closet made out of bubble gum. That's probably what these guys have at Jarvis Landry, and you can't blame them. <laughs> uh, they all have the same, pretty much similar name on there, and Jarvis Landry can do no wrong in, in their eyes. Uh, it's really kind of funny. If you're on Twitter, so just search the hashtag Landry Gang Gang. Don't say anything negative about Jarvis Landry because the gang will gang up on you. They're coming. They, they're coming, and it's funny as all heck. <laughs> And, and I guess you got to be like a certain age to get in, and you got to go through a little orientation process and all that kind of good stuff. It, I don't it know. It might be it's... older than us. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I hope so, <laughs> or I hope not. I don't know. We're just a bunch of internet nerds at the end of the day, and this is what we, we do. Are, we tell yeah. our friends that we're doing a podcast. Yeah. Fun stuff. All right. Let's move on from Landry Gang Gang. And some people have called Jarvis Landry a diva and complain about not getting the ball enough. And Mass Dolphin asked this very question on the Finn side of Real Mailbag. So how it's, where do you think the misconceptions or untruths about Landry being a diva and complaining about not getting the ball enough come from? Or do you think where there's smoke, there is fire? Yeah, there's definitely fire there. I think he's from that same breed of the Odell Beckham Jr. And there's not a single person in this world that would say Odell Beckham Jr. isn't a, a diva. He's one of those guys that wants the football in his hand no matter what, and when things don't go his way, he throws in tantrums on the sideline. I absolutely think Jarvis Landry is the same kind of guy. I think you want that passion in a player on your football team, but to an extent. And I think sometimes Jarvis Landry, as you saw in that Buffalo game, he seems to cross that line of what's, you know, uh, that anger, that aggression, that will to win that you want to see, and then that boneheaded play, like he just went up and headbutted some dude. Who knows what was said, but I mean, we all saw it. We all were shaking our head at that, and it's just who he is. And I think at the end of the day, you got to take the good with the bad. It's a sign of immaturity. I think he's 25 years old. That's what you're going to get from a player of that caliber. But in this day and age, every player wants the football in their hands. you got a guy that's getting 10 to 12 targets a game, and he had to be frustrated with the kind of season Miami had. I mean, you sit there and you see Ryan Tannehill have the season he did the year prior, went out with his injury. You saw nothing but great things happening this season, and then he got hurt again, and it was just build up frustration. So, I mean, that's just a whole other topic to discuss. But at the end of the day, I think he is a diva. I think that's the kind of player he is, and I think that's what you're going to get when you sign Jarvis Landry. Whether you don't sign Jarvis Landry, where he goes out to San Francisco, he's going to continue to be a diva. He's going to continue to be a playmaker. He wants the football in his hands. And good or bad, that's what you want from a player. It's funny because when Devontae Parker was interviewed earlier this season, he said that he wasn't in the right place yet. He's too young to demand the ball and to be a – didn't use the word diva, but kind of almost referred to it in terms of him not fully growing into that role yet. When you look at the greatest receivers in the NFL, the history of the NFL, they're all divas. I mean, maybe the exception is Jerry Rice, at least publicly. We don't know how he was behind the scenes. But you look at guys like Chris Carter, like Randy Moss, like Terrell Owens, Michael Irvin, all those great receivers, they were all divas. They all demanded the ball. They all demanded that they wanted to be the best. You almost got to have that attitude and that ego to be an alpha receiver. Antonio Brown's another one. We saw the blow up on the sideline earlier this season. Just shows he has the passion. Now Jarvis Landry got ejected from the Buffalo Bills game week 17, got involved got chippy. Adam Gase called it one of the most embarrassing moments that he's been a part of since he's been a coach in the league. Mike Pouncey called out Jarvis. Kenny Stills indirectly called out Jarvis Landry. Sutton, how can a Jarvis Landry take that passion, take that emotion, and Liquid Plumber uh, at Ruby IPS kind of re- First to that, where how can we eliminate these mental discipline mistakes we had this year? Well, I I think this is on Jarvis. I mean, we can kind of attribute some of this gaze, I guess, and the culture that's there. And we had a lot of penalties this year, so you could certainly make that case. But I I really think this is what Hout said. This is a maturity issue, and I think the silver lining in this is that ended getting ejected from a game and Adam Gase's coach comes out and said it was embarrassing. He either gets pissed off and creates a barrier between 
him and Gase and it becomes an issue or he realizes, look, I'm getting ready to hopefully get paid a lot of money and I want to keep getting paid a lot of money in this league. I need to figure out how to put lightning in a bottle, so to speak. Channel more energy into his first career, how it gets out, because he's an extrovert type of player. You know, you see the introverted more to themselves, more reserved type lead by example sort of players in the NFL. And then you see the outgoing extroverted types, what you said, diva, you know, different ways to, you know, label this monster. But kind of guy and there's going to be passion he has to learn how to channel that into more productive ways because the energy is going to be there it's how what does he do with that energy does he get ejected from a game from getting out of control or does he lower his head get a first down for this ball club and then have a sweet first down celebration point i would prefer the latter Adam Gates talks a lot about eliminating mistakes and eliminating discipline problems and, and all that. And actually referred to Jarvis Landry as one of the most passionate guys on a team. This was when J.H.I. was still on the team and said that those three together have to really control their emotions. And Lane Kiffin actually came out with a great tweet the other day when uh, a quote from Nick Saban came out saying that Nick Saban doesn't yell at his assistant coaches on the sideline. And Lane Kiffin, always great at tweeting, said that one, that's false. And two, that they teach their players not to get too up or down because he said, when emotions go up, decision-making goes down. And that really kind of resonated with me because you look at all these great coaches in the NFL and you very rarely see the great ones get too excited or get too low when anything goes wrong. I mean, you look at Bill Belichick and the guy shows no emotion. But that's what Nick Saban learned it from. Nick Saban says when he emotions go up, decision-making goes down. When you really think about it, it's true. When Jarvis's emotions go up, his decision-making goes down. We've seen it before. He, he gets taken out of the game a little bit. And then we saw against the Buffalo Bills, his emotions got the best of him and he gets ejected. When he's on the brink of history, in terms of Miami Dolphins history, when being the third, uh, first player in Dolphins history to hit three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. So for me, Jarvis needs to do a better job. If we're paying him all that money and we're tying up all that money in the wide receiver position, he needs to mature and he needs to stop being the diva that he is. How do you have any thoughts on Landry and his diva-like attitude? No, I think you both touched on it. I think we all had throughout this podcast. He, he's a young guy. He's passionate. There's very few in the NFL that I've seen or really care to watch that have that same type of passion and motivation to succeed that Jarvis Landry has. I mean, something happened to that man in his life where he just wanted to go out there and just prove to the world that he can do whatever he wants to do, can be the type of player that he wants to be, whether it be being drafted in the second round, whether it be – being told is just a glorified slot receiver, whatever it may be. Jarvis Landry continues to go out there each and every week and prove that those people are wrong. But at the end of the day, big Jarvis Landry fan, favorite player on the football team right now, but he has to grow up. He has to show maturity. And he needs to continue to get better with that aspect because whatever happened that Buffalo game, I don't know if there's John throughout the entire match. Maybe it happened a couple weeks earlier. But that was dumb, and if this team was in the playoff hunt, if this team was in contention, and the Dolphins scored a touchdown there to get back in this game, and Jarvis Landry went up and did that guy ejected, Kenny Drake got ejected. That would not only piss us off, that would piss the entire fan base off, that would piss the coaching staff off, and it's just something that you don't want to see. You want to see Jarvis Landry be cool, calm, and collected, score that touchdown, run to the sideline, celebrate with his teammates, and just go and go out there to make the next play because the Dolphins had a chance to win that game. Sure, they had David Fales in there. They got the onside kick, whatever it may be. But that team would have been a hell of a lot better off with Jarvis Landry and Kenny Drake in there than them two ejected from the game for a, a touchdown that ended up breaking the Dolphins' single-season record. So he has those maturity issues. Many receivers do, but he needs to overcome them because it's just something that's just going to continue to hold him back year in, year out. 
And no matter where he goes, those maturity issues will follow him unless he gets a coach that's really going to get on him. And when you talk about coaching changes for the Dolphins, we have Dowell Logan's as the offensive coordinator, where stories have come out that he is not afraid to hold people accountable. But wide receivers coach Sean Jefferson, and we've seen receivers regress a bit under him. And I think Sean Jefferson doesn't fully hold him accountable. I didn't don't think Clyde Christensen, actually, I know Clyde Christensen did not hold him accountable. So we'll see if there's a change if they do decide to bring him back. There's been so many rumors regarding Jarvis Landry and his future with the team. If you go back all the way to the draft, they were shopping him. I will tell you that right now. They were shopping him during the draft. And they could not get any takers, mainly because of that domestic incident that was caught on tape. And the Dolphins, this was not public at the time, but the Dolphins told teams about it and gave them a heads up. And no team, without seeing the video, did not want to touch Jarvis, or maybe they did, but for a low-round draft pick. Then the trade deadline comes up, and on that day, I mean, I just laugh because, and again, this just blows my mind and just brings me in 25 different directions because Armando Salguero is tweeting out that Jarvis Landry is probably the next one to go. Then Jarvis puts up an Instagram post as if almost saying goodbye to Miami. Odell Beckham tweets out saying something of the nature where he can't wait to see where Jarvis ends up. Those tweets don't just come out for hahas. And then funny, you know, the same day or the next day, Adam Gase says they were always planning to keep Jarvis Landry. And we're not shopping him around. There's way too much smoke around that. And I've been told that Dolphins have gone back and forth on Jarvis about a hundred times since they've started deciding whether or not to keep him. And Adam Gates is a big proponent, and he said it so himself, that he believes the wide receiver core should be the strongest unit on the offensive side of the ball. But could he get a tight end, or could he get other guys to take over Jarvis's production? And Alpha asks that, and he says, is having a good tight end decrease the need of having a high-dollar slot receiver? I mean, I don't know, Alpha. I mean, you look at a team like Greg Olson with the Carolina Panthers. You look at Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs. You look at Rob Gronkowski with the Patriots. The Panthers struggle on offense. They're not getting it done with just Greg Olson, and they weren't getting it done with Greg Olson and Calvin Benjamin either. You look at Travis Kelsey. The offense doesn't run through him. Yes, he's a great piece. But then you got Tyree Kill in the slot there who just changes the entire game. You look at the Patriots. They got Julian Edelman in the slot. And he's been injured, but uh, you, then you throw an Amendola or Chris Hogan in a slot, and they change the game. So I don't think that getting an elite tight end would decrease the need for a great slot receiver. I, I think the great tight end is a piece, but show me one team who has had their offense run through the tight end position. Now you could say the Patriots when they had Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski, but now you're talking about two elite tight ends the two best tight ends in the league instead of just one. That's a whole different story. You get two elite tight ends, you could probably make it happen. One tight end, I don't think so. And then you look at whether or not you can afford Landry and all that, like we talked about earlier. And Dolphin Joe says, would you rather have Landry or Sue? Because if you cut Sue and eat the dead money, you can afford Landry. Then you start taking pieces away on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Sue is a dominant player, the dominant, most dominant player on the Dolphins, according to PFF this season. We don't know what the defense would look like without Sue. We can imagine, we can guess, we can think that it would be just as good. We could think that it would be worse, but we don't truly know. Sue is one of those guys who makes the plays and frees up the blockers behind him. So his true impact isn't seen on TV or on the all 22 well, it's seen on the all 22, but it's not seen on TV as you're watching the game. You really got to understand the nuances of the defensive scheme to really figure out Sue's impact. There are so many angles to take with this Jarvis Landry situation. And I just want to go back to all that smoke that we had around the trade deadline and how it's, I mean, Adam Gates comes out and says, we were never going to trade him. But as I just mentioned, where there's smoke, there is always fire. But did that lead to possibly a front office struggle with maybe Mike Tannenbaum saying, let's get rid of Jarvis and Adam Gase saying, I want Jarvis. How else, what are your thoughts on that? I don't have the sources 
like you or some of the other people out there. But I, I do think if that was the case, if Tannenbaum, you know, is going out there and trying to shop Jarvis Landry, then you got a guy like Adam Gase who knows what he means to that offense, utilizes him to the best of his ability. I would definitely think that would become a power struggle and kind of shake up this organization. I think Adam Gase in the end would have his way because at the end of the day, that's Stephen Ross's guy. I know Mike Tannenbaum and him are buddy-buddy, but if if at, if Stephen Ross had to choose between Adam Gase and Mike Tannenbaum, I think he would choose Gase. And if he had to choose between re-signing or not re-signing Jarvis Landry, I have no sources. I have no hearsay here one way or the other, but I think Jarvis Landry – for Stephen Ross and Adam Gase is best for that franchise, and I think that's a guy that both both guys would like to bring back. So, would it cause a power struggle? Absolutely. So, and if you're Adam Gase, do you think that uh, the front office is trying to screw you over and trying to get rid of Jarvis? Or do you really think that maybe it's Adam Gase who wants to get rid of Jarvis, and the front office wants to keep him? Oh, that's man, that's a question I can't answer. I'd love to be a fly on the wall team headquarters and see what's going on on that front i'll just throw out an alternate possibility one that i wish we would have explored earlier but when you think about this wide receiver group we have young players there landry i think is the oldest player out of anybody that got snaps this year uh, correct me if i'm wrong but um i think he's the oldest wide receiver that we played this year so if we could if we could bring in a vet I would I would love to explore that option just just for the sheer presence of that. And I, I don't even know who's available, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't have anybody in mind. But someone like Anquan Bolden, someone that's been in the league for a while, some someone that's in the twilight of their career, just to have that presence in the locker room, I think, would be worth a couple million dollars, to be honest with you. Because then you have peer accountability. And I think that's one thing that maybe Jarvis Landry has lost there is he doesn't really – have a peer in that group that he that he has to answer to so maybe that's where some of this stuff bubbles over a little bit he's a little he's a little bit too alpha about doing his business and if he could learn to restrain that alphaness so to speak um i think that would go a long way so if we could get a vet in there i think that would have a kind of calming influence on the room there and and give some veteran leadership so that that would be a route that I would explore in terms of the political things going on in the front office and stuff. I think we'll just have to wait and see how all this plays out. We've talked about on previous shows, Adam Gase, exploring, getting more power. But the season that just happened, I don't know what kind of leverage he would have in station. So we'll just see how it plays out. There are some intriguing free agents out there if, if the Dolphins did want to bring in a veteran. There are also some intriguing free agents if the Dolphins wanted to move on from Jarvis Landry. Look at a guy like Eric Decker. I know he's up there in age, and he doesn't have the production that he used to have, but he might be a solid piece to complement with Parker and Stills. But then you start really looking at it. You got a guy like Kendall Wright coming from Chicago who had a nice season. You're looking at... Marquise Lee from Jacksonville. Jordan Matthews has had his share of injuries, but if he can get it together, can be a good receiver. You look at a guy like Allen Robinson. Brian Quick from Washington, solid player. Dante Moncrief, solid player from the Colts. DeAnthony Thomas kind of gotten shuffled back to the end of the depth chart due, due to all the talent they had on that team. But But I think the Dolphins can go in a different direction and get not similar production, to Jarvis Landry, but a little less, but possibly addition by subtraction when you take out the dumb penalties and all that other extracurricular stuff that brings the undisciplined approach on the offensive side of the ball. It's really it's really a tough situation to, to figure out, and it's going to be one of the biggest decisions the Dolphins have to make in this regime because if he goes and becomes an elite player, well, he's pretty much already elite in Miami, I would have to say, right? He's one of the best receivers in the NFL, in my opinion. But if he goes out and just changes an entire offense somewhere else, then this coaching staff is going to look completely insane and dumb for not utilizing him to the best of his ability down in Miami. Or if they sign him to a long-term contract and he continues with the dumb penalties and doesn't mature 
then it's going to look bad on them as well. It's a tough situation to be in. So Sutton, let's just recap here. Tell me your stance coming into the show on Jarvis. And now that we've talked about all that, your stance on Jarvis at the end of the show. Well, let's separate this into what I want to happen and what I think will happen. What I want to have happen is us to just re-sign him. And for for what we talked about earlier, it's the money is most part a moot point. I understand not wanting to overpay a player that doesn't justify the production you get. Olivier Vernon immediately comes to mind. So we don't want to sign someone like Olivier Vernon in free agency, but I don't think we're going to. And I think we, aside from Andre, Andre Branch, sorry, uh, don't like that contract re-signing. Kiko, he did enough when he played well in 2016 to earn a contract. Unfortunately, he didn't follow that up with a great campaign. Um, but I'm not going to hate on the Dolphins for, for that contract either. So I think we've been fairly decent at – who we've chosen to sign and re-sign. And I just hope Landry's in that card. What I think is going to have happen, and I'll just stick to my guns. I said this like a month ago. I think they're going to tag him. All right. How it's, again, you. What did yeah, you say at the beginning of the show, and what do you say now? Yeah, coming to this, my thought was, not my money, sign Jarvis Landry. And after all this discussion, I kind of feel the same way. It's not my money. I realize Jarvis Landry's, whether it's the Dolphins, whether it's San Francisco, whether it's Chicago, whether it's another team looking for a receiver in free agency, someone's going to sign Jarvis Landry. 25 years old, just turned it in November, 4,000 yards, most receptions by a receiver in the first four years of their NFL career. I mean, the list goes on and on. I, I don't think Jarvis Landry scratched the surface of the kind of player he can become. I think Miami was completely foolish to let him get to this final year of his contract, as I stated before. But at the end of the day, I would do whatever it takes to sign Jarvis Landry, $13 million, whatever it is per season. But if we're going to go with Sutton's perspective, go with what he's kind of thinking, and you're going to sit here and say, how do I feel at the end of the day? I mean, as a Dolphins fan, you got to kind of think that, okay, Jarvis Landry is not going to resign. He's going to end up getting free agency. Miami's going to mess this up somehow. That's where my heart is, but at the end of the day, I think he's just too good of a player. This team doesn't want to open up that kind of hole. You see what Devontae Parker is. You can't feel confident going into next season with just Kenny Stills and Jakeem Grant. Uh, so, me, I think Miami signs him, whether it's franchise tag. You touched on it with the transition tag. I'm not sure that that's kind of the best bet for this team to go going forward. So, franchise tag or 13, 14 million per season with Eighteen and twenty million guaranteed. That's kind of where I'm at, and I think Jarvis Landry gets signed before free agency. Once he hits that open market, though, he isn't coming back, in my opinion. Beginning of the show, I said that a gun to my head. Coming into the beginning of the show, I, I would have to say that gun to my head, I, I would get rid of Jarvis Landry. But after our discussion tonight, and after what you just said, how it's with it's not our money, and when we talked about it's not all about salary cap hell in the NFL. It's kind of just thrown around a lot. I, I would say pay Jarvis and make him a Miami Dolphin for the next three to five years. The last thing you want to do when you're a team with a lot of holes is make another hole. With the uncertainty regarding Devontae Parker and his ability to take that next step, you don't want to get rid of Jarvis and have that open hole there in the slot. You can say Jakeem Grant, but how would he hold up in a full season? We've seen nothing from Leonte Carew. We've seen very little from Devontae Parker and his ability to stay healthy. When he's healthy, yeah, he's great. He can't stay healthy, though. You don't want to create a hole at the wide receiver position and bring Ryan Tannehill back and have him throwing to only Kenny Stills or Jakeem Grant or Leonte Carew. You got, you got to bring Jarvis back. You have to bring Jarvis back. It's a few million dollars. Close the window. Get it done. In a year or two from now, that contract is going to pale in comparison to the next wide receiver that signs a contract. That's where I stand now after we discussed everything throughout the length of the show. I'm, pr- I'm, pr- I'm proud of you for, for changing your perspective, for having a thoughtful dialogue with us, for being our friend. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
I'm proud of you for telling us a story about your mom being attacked by fire ants. Now she survived. That's, that's something I'd like to write a book about. Maybe a pop. That must have been horrifying. Yeah, maybe horrifying. a pop-up book. You... Maybe like, did you see it happen? Like, were you just standing yeah, back? Yeah, like, I was just. Watching I was just fire yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea what was going on <laughs> until she started screaming. He was probably. He's probably. Poor kid's probably afraid of picnics. Hey. Come on, <laughs> poor kid. Seriously. Like weren't you guys like just uh, trauma, traumatized, traumatized for life. Yeah, poor guy. All right, so again, Landry Gang Gang is when you talk bad about Jarvis and they gang up on you because they're in a gang. We, I think so, at the end of this show, we're all Landry Gang Gang. So oh, we're all Landry Gang Gang, Landry Gang Gang for life. Yep. And I don't care what anyone says, we are members of that group right now. Why don't Why don't we triple gang gang it like Landry I, Gang Gang Gang? I think we have to be beat in. That first. would mean we have. That would mean we have to gang up. On the gang, because we're our own gang. I mean, that, that might take sense, off. Right? Yeah, let's try let's it one it. day. Let's let's see if it goes. Before we sign off the year, we just do have another question on Twitter, unrelated to Jarvis Landry, but since it's our boy Caruth, we will answer it. Uh, he says, "I hope I'm not too late with my questions, but first one is: if Dolphins get a chance to interview someone for the defensive coordinator spot, shouldn't they just let Burt go so we don't have another Harbaugh incident on our hands?" And if you follow me on Twitter, it has been no secret that I do want someone else other than Matt Burke in that spot. It's not that I think Matt Burke is terrible, but I think there are plenty of great options out there that can help Adam Gase tremendously um, as he tries to turn this team around. And no, I don't necessarily think they should fire him because, one, Matt Burke may be willing to stay on in a reduced role. And if he is, the new defensive coordinator may want him here. So it doesn't really help unless Matt Burke has – said privately that he will not come back if there's another defensive coordinator, then there's really no reason to let him go at this time. All right, we talked a lot of Jarvis Landry. We're going to see how this shakes out over the next few weeks. It's going to be an interesting ride, and Landry Gang Gang, of course, is going to be all over this, and everyone else who loves Jarvis Landry or, yes, who even does not like Jarvis Landry. So for How To uh, and uh, Sutton the Creepy Soccer Dad, I am MZ Money. Thank you for listening this week to Finsider Radio, and we'll talk to you next time. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. With a Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, with a Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, with a Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. <laughs>